Um, so with that said, we are going to be turning to the Old Testament book of Psalms. Uh, just stuttered there. Uh, Old Testament book of Psalms. Uh, we're going to be in Psalm 119. Um, and we are going to be reading uh, verses 9 through 16, um, but mostly focusing our attention on 9 through 11 for this particular sermon. But we're going to read it all for the sake of context. Um, and this is the word of the Lord. Psalm 119, uh, starting in verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, once again, we are coming before you uh, desperate to hear uh, your voice, desperate to... um, spend time with you to know and be known uh, by the God who not only created us, but also redeemed us uh, through the work of your son. And Father, we thank you. Uh, Lord, it feels like I say this all the time, but we thank you that we don't have to wonder what you're like and wonder how you feel towards us, but you have revealed that in your word and uh, in the person and work of your son, Jesus. And Lord, uh, what you have revealed is good news, uh, that you sent your one and only son to die for us, to rescue us from our sinful and rebellious condition, and to make us part of your family. Father, there's no greater gift, no greater news than that. And I pray that that redeeming love would be the song that we sing uh, for all of our days. And so we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're continuing in our series that we're calling Tools of Change. And last time we talked about the first tool, um, but it's been a couple weeks. Do you guys remember what the first tool of change was? Yes. Anything specifically about the gospel that you can recall in that sermon or in general? It has been like two or three weeks, so it's okay if, um, if you, you don't remember anything. But essentially, the reason that I treated the gospel and the Bible, because that's tonight's theme, the word or the Bible, the reason that I treated them differently or in, in two, separate, two separate sermons is because the gospel a lot of times is the, uh, the portion of God's word that, that uh, the Holy Spirit uses to introduce us to God, right? It, the gospel is the, the means of salvation. Paul, the apostle, said that, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Um, and we talked about in the first week about how um, the gospel, when it is received with full conviction, it bears 
fruit in the lives of God's people, right? Um, and so this week, um, we are talking about uh, the Bible as a whole rather than specifically focusing on the gospel. And so the, the main theme of this message is that the word of God changes the people of God. The word of God changes the people of God. As I was thinking about um, why the word of God is necessary, um, what came to mind is uh, the character Bucky from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I've been using a lot of Marvel illustrations. I guess I've just been uh, watching, watching these movies. Um, but I'm thinking specifically in The Winter Soldier where he is, he's kind of brainwashed, right? And he uh, essentially, he's been uh, kind of hijacked by this evil organization uh, and kind of uh, is doing their bidding, right? And so he's essentially, he's mind controlled, but his good friend, Steve Rogers or Captain America comes along and he sees his friend, even though his friend doesn't recognize him, he sees his friend and he tells him the truth about who he is, right? And it's that truth accompanied with Steve Rogers' love of being unwilling to fight his friend, right? But rather is willing to die for his friend. Um, it is that combination of, of telling the truth in love that leads to this change in Bucky where he actually goes from being this, this mind-controlled assassin now kind of turning back to who he was always supposed to be, right? Um, and in a similar way, in our passage tonight, um, it's, it's not necessarily known exactly who wrote Psalm 119. David is the one who uh, a lot of scholars suggest wrote Psalm 119. Um, and so in a way, it's a, a song or a prayer of David where he is uh, describing um, his own uh, fallen condition and the, the way in which the word of God changes him, the way in which God uses his word to uh, turn him away from his, his, as he, to use the language of the passage uh, in verse 10, where he says, let me not wander from your commandments, right? Um, or when he says, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so, in a similar way, we as Christians, because even though David wouldn't have used the term Christian to describe himself, he was someone who had a relationship with God uh, in the Old Covenant um, dispensation. And so, even though he wasn't technically a Christian, he was still a Christian, essentially, um, and I recognize that certain theologians will actually debate what I just said, but let's leave that aside for now. Um, but, and so the point of what, of what I'm, I'm driving at here is what David is saying is he's saying that God uses his word to sanctify us, to change us. And so in this passage, we, we have to ask ourselves, what exactly does this passage teach us about how God's word 
changes his people, right? Because that's the whole theme of this sermon series is that we want to know what are the ordinary tools that God uses to make us more like Jesus. And tonight we're talking about the Bible. And so there's three, there's three things that we can observe from this passage. First, this passage teaches us why we need to change. Second, this passage teaches us what God uses to change us, which we've already alluded to several times. And thirdly, this passage teaches us where this change must take place. So it teaches us why we need to change. It teaches us what God uses to change us. And it teaches us where this change must take place. So let's dive into that first question of why we need to change. And the the answer is found in verses 10 and 11. And I've already alluded to it a little bit. But it's where David, he says, with my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Verse 11, he says, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so towards the the beginning of this passage, we see David pleading with the Lord uh, to keep him from wandering away from the, the, the way of righteousness, the, the, from wandering away from the way that God wants him to live, the way that God uh, calls each person that is in relationship with him to live. And so he's pleading with God, God, don't let me wander from your ways. Don't let me, don't let me willingly walk into sin. Protect me from that. And David goes on and he states that he has stored up God's word in his heart that he might not sin against God. And so from, from these two verses, what we, can, what we can extrapolate, what we can pull out is that even someone who is in relationship with God still wanders and sins against God. Even people, we who are Christians, still wander and sin against God. Now, what I said may not shock you, but there, I remember I actually had, this is just a side note, I had a de- an online debate with someone who actually believed, it was on Instagram, they, they were like talking, talking about how uh, as soon as you become a Christian, you are fully sanctified, which means that you don't sin anymore. Um, and I was like, well, the Bible seems to disagree with you. And then I gave him a verse out of Hebrews, and then uh, he quoted the KJV translation, which was actually a really bad translation of that particular verse. Um, but anyway, all of that to say, there are, there are and have been a group of people in, within the church, you know, Big C Church, who believe that when you become a Christian, you no longer sin anymore. And the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that our hearts are so desperately wicked that we, we don't even know the depths of our own sin. Uh, in Jeremiah, I think it's, is it 17, 9? Um, that was a, a loose paraphrase of what, I, of what I just alluded to a moment ago. Um, but he says that the heart is desperately wicked. 
right? Who, who can know it? Who can understand it? And if you're at the, the winter camp, I kind of talked about this a little bit. The human heart is, uh, John Calvin said, a, an idol factory, uh, we is constantly producing idols, different things that we focus on that are are little little g gods that our time, talent, and affections go towards, which is exactly what David is talking about in the sense of our oftentimes our thoughts, desires, and our wills go towards things other than God. That's this idea of wandering. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is the human condition, Christian as well as non-Christian. But the difference between the Christian and the non-Christian is this. Uh, John Owen once said that uh, it's not the absence of sin that makes the Christian different, but it's the hatred of that sin. It's the heart of David here where he says, God, don't let me wander. Don't let me, uh, don't let me sin against you. In fact, he says that he's, he's proactively taking steps to prevent sinning against God because he now has been born again. The Holy Spirit has changed his mind and heart to where he loves God and wants to obey God. I think about our dog, uh, our dog Chico, by nature and by choice, he is a beggar, uh, a very, very bad one. Um, and he, that, is, that is just who he is, right? That's his nature. And in a similar way, we sin because we are sinners. That is, that is the, the nature of, of human beings. And you and I, we are no different than David the author of this psalm, we, in so many ways that we are aware of and in a lot of ways that we are unaware of, we wander in thought, deed, and in the things that we say. We, we sin against God. And the wonderful thing about being a Christian is that we have a Savior who didn't need heart change. We have a Savior who didn't wander from his Father's commandments, who perfectly lived out the word of God, right? As it says the, in verse 12, the statutes of God. We have a Redeemer who perfectly obeyed in our place as our substitute because he loved us and he knew that we would be unable to obey. But not only that, we have a Savior who died for the sins that we commit, who died for our times of wandering, and who rose again to prove to our hearts that even in the moments when we wander, God still loves us. God still forgives us. We are justified freely by God's grace. And so this passage teaches us why we need to change, which is the, the simple fact that there's still sin in our hearts. We still wander. We are still in need of Jesus to continually bring us back. And one of the tools that Jesus uses is the word of God. 
uh, Paul in uh, Rome, I think it's Romans, he says, I wouldn't have known what it means to covet unless the word of God or unless the law of God told me not to covet. In other words, the word of God revealed a sin that was in his life and he was convicted of that sin and then realized his need to change. And that ties very closely into the the next point that we're making, which is that God uses his word as a means of changing us. And this we pull from verse 11 where he says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Calvin said of this verse, he said, our true safeguard in order, what keeps us safe is not, uh, then lies not in a slender knowledge of God's law or in a, a careless perusal of it, but rather in hiding it deeply within our hearts. This is what keeps us safe. This is what keeps us from straying from God, from being unaware, as Paul was, of the covetousness that's in our heart, of the lust that's within our heart, of the evil that dwells within us. The word of God exposes those things and reveals to us our need for the perfect uh, work of Christ and for our need to change. It's actually really interesting, this phrase, storing up uh, your word. It actually, what this Hebrew phrase conveys is that it actually kind of um, conveys the idea of, of finding something that's really precious to you and hiding it. Kind of like a, a pirate would hide their buried treasure in a secret spot because that treasure is, is precious to them, right? Or if you're uh, Frodo Baggins, you carry the ring closely around your neck because it is precious to you, right? Um, it's interesting. I actually just recently, another illustration of this is my wife has lots of jewelry. She loves earrings and, and you know, necklaces and all that kind of stuff. Um, but she, until recently, she didn't have like a, a jewelry box. So a lot of times earrings would go missing or like bracelets, you know, different things would go missing. And so when we were down in Texas, we went to Magnolia. How many of you guys know what Magnolia is? Okay. So we went down to Magnolia, and uh, we were in this, this one shop that they have there, and they had this really nice, like, jewelry box. And so I bought it for Lindsay so that she could store up her treasures in this box so that she could store them up, so that she could, so that she could hide them away in there so that they wouldn't be lost And in a similar way, when we as Christians, when we treasure God's word, when we we hide it in our hearts, when we um, meditate on God's law, as it says in Psalm 1, day and night, uh, it's never a useless endeavor because God's word always is changing the way that we think. Because as we said previously, it's revealing the ways that we have fallen short. But it doesn't just tell us what we suck at. It also tells us what we need to do. Uh, it doesn't just tell us the, the wrong way, but it also tells us the right way to go. Jesus actually says that the whole law of God 
is summed up in two commandments, which are what? Anybody know? Yep, boom, there you go. So right there, Jesus is teaching us not only, he doesn't only point out our flaws, right? He doesn't say, you sinner, you, never, you don't love God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. That's true. That's true for you, and that's true for me. But he says, this is what God calls us to. Not only does he give us the bad news that we fall short of that, but he says that this is what God calls us to. And the rest of the Bible teaches us that not only did Jesus uh, perfectly love God with all his mind, heart, soul, and strength, perfectly love the Father and the Holy Spirit uh, with, with all of his being, but he also loved his neighbor as himself, perfectly fulfilling the righteousness that was required of you and I. You see, Jesus is the Savior who could quote scripture in the face of the devil, in the, fa- in the midst of, of intense temptation from Satan himself, just had scripture just coming out, oozing out of him, to use a weird analogy. But Jesus was uh, God, but in his human nature, he was also saturated in scripture. He was prepared by the word of God. And so my question for us is, as we are thinking about this idea of the necessity of change, as we are um, recognizing that God calls us to something more, do we view God's word as a precious treasure to be stored up in our minds and hearts? Do we view God's word as something to be treasured, something that we store and we hide away to prevent our wandering from God? Or do we just approach God's word as though it's just another book? So we've talked about why we need to change, which is what this passage talks about. We've talked about the means that God uses to change us. And finally, we're going to talk about where this change has to take place, where this change has to take place. And that is in the heart. That is in the heart. If you look at verse 10, he says, the first part of that verse, he says, with my whole heart, I seek you. Drop down to verse 11. He says, I have stored up your word, where? In my heart. You see, the psalmist, he emphasizes the role of the heart in this passage. Paul Tripp, when speaking about about the heart, he says that the heart is the causal core of who we are. In other words, the heart is like the engine of the human being. Now, when I say heart, you guys recognize that I'm not talking about the literal, the little meat thing in your chest that is pumping blood, right? When I say heart, we, we do have some, some interesting connotations that go with it. What are some, some different um, uses of the phrase heart that you guys can think of? Follow your heart, okay. What else? 
The heart of the matter, okay. Love, okay. Um, you guys have heard the phrase, you wear your heart on your sleeve. You've heard that before? Um, let's see here. I'm trying to think of some other ones. But our culture has this very, um, has this very almost like the heart is purely emotional type of view of the heart. But that's not a biblical view of the heart. Um, the, he, the Hebrew idea of the heart is that it, it comprises of the thoughts, the, uh, or another way to say it, the mind, the desires, and the will. And it sees these things as a cohesive unit. So the heart in, in the Bible is, is, the mind, the, is the mind, the desires, and the will all kind of wrapped up into one, one thing. And simultaneously, the Bible teaches that, that, that your mind, will, and desires have all been corrupted by sin, right? Like we just talked about. And so we live in the midst of a culture that says, follow your heart, trust your heart. But God teaches us that our hearts are not to be trusted because they are not the ultimate standard to which we must appeal. You think of it this way. Imagine that you're getting onto an airplane, okay? And you sit down in your seat and, and you're, the airplane is, is uh, pulling back from the, the little uh, on-ramp thing. And you hear the captain come over the loudspeaker and he's, he starts talking to you and he says, Good afternoon, folks. This is a nonstop flight to Dallas. Should be a, should be a, a bumpy or shouldn't, shouldn't be a bumpy flight at all. Um, should be fairly quick and safe. However, I am legally blind, so I guess we'll just have to see how it goes. We'll have to see how it goes. If, if you were, if, uh, I hate flying, by the way. Uh, and so if it were me, I'd be like, let me off right now. <laughs> let me off right now, right? And <laughs> if, I would assume the rest of you would probably want to get off that flight as well because you don't want to, yeah. you don't, say what? <laughs> <laughs> you, most of us don't want to be on a plane with uh, an airplane pilot that doesn't, that doesn't have the capacity to see where he's going, right? What the Bible teaches is that your heart is a blind airplane pilot, essentially. That you're, even though the heart is, is factors into so many of the decisions that we make, actually all of the decisions that we make, the Bible teaches that there is is and will be until Jesus comes and takes us home to be with him, there is going to be sin in our hearts that we must battle daily. And so when the culture says, trust your heart, you say, no, my heart doesn't have the capacity in and of itself to direct me in the way that I should go. So if you're, if you're not looking within and you're not looking to the culture because the culture's uh, moral standards are always, you know, uh, up and down and all over the place. Um, we have to ask ourselves, well, where, where do we go if we want to know how to be like God? Where do we go if we want to change? Well, the answer is we go to the word of God. We go to the scriptures because the scriptures alone are the sole and infallible uh, standard of faith and life. They teach us what it is to be a Christian and what it is to follow Jesus. And, and they are the means that God uses 
to change the ways that we think, the, what we desire, and the choices that we make. Because it's only in the word of God that we discover the, the errors in, in our thoughts, in our desires, in our will. And so we need to continually be coming to the Bible and, and testing ourselves. You know, um, we are, need to constantly be assessing, you know, thoughts that you are having. For instance, you know, if you are having a thought, man, I, I'm just, I'm no good. I'm a terrible person. Or if you're having all of this negative self-talk, then you need to start asking yourself, start assessing Okay, so I'm having this thought about me. What does God's word say about me? Well, according to Ephesians 1, God says that you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You are chosen before the foundation of the world, before God created anything, God chose you. He adopted you into his family. You've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. These are the things that are true of you, and they are more true than your feelings, more true than your thoughts of you. We all have different desires for for different things, right? And so then if you have a desire for something, you need to ask yourself, is this something, this thing that I want so badly, is this something that is held forth in the Bible as something that God says is good and should be desired? Or is this something that I shouldn't be wanting and should be asking God to help me put this desire to death? And the same goes for the choices that we are making as well. But the only way that you can constantly be assessing your thoughts, desires, and choices is if you have some sort of objective standard that is outside of your own thoughts, emotions, and and desires. The only way that you can uh, be objective is to have a standard that is outside of you and that is higher than human perspectives. And the only, the only standard that fits that bill is God and his word, because only his word is truth. The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. And so, as we're thinking about this idea of God's word being the means that... that changes us like like Bucky who heard the truth and was loved by his friend and was changed by that we need to constantly be having God's word poured into us through the preaching on Sunday nights Sunday mornings and also in your daily lives coming daily to the word of God and having his word poured into your mind and your heart so that it begins to change your thought patterns. And as those thought patterns change, your desires and the choices that you make will begin to to change because they are informed by truth instead of by culture or your own sinful heart. So with that said, let's pray and we'll go into our small groups. Um, 
Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you that you give us your truth. Lord Jesus, you say uh, you prayed for us and for your disciples in the garden before you were crucified. You said, Father, sanctify them in the truth and your word is truth. So we know, Lord God, that your word is the means that you use to change us. And so we are thankful, Lord God, that we have the Bible, that we don't have to wonder what is true and we don't have to trust our own uh, subjective views and, and thoughts, but we have the truth. And not only that, you've put your spirit within us to lead us and direct us and illuminate that truth to our minds. So, Lord, I pray that you would bless our study, uh, our discussion. Um, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.